0: I want to begin today with a story that's one of my favorites. And it is a story that took place many years ago. In fact, it would have been in the uh, 17th or 18th century, no doubt. It was a sailing ship crossing the Atlantic Ocean. And the ship went through difficulties. I don't know exactly what, storms, difficulties. It was damaged. It was late. It was in trouble trying to cross the Atlantic Ocean, which can be perilous at best. But as it was approaching, unbeknownst to them, uh, the South American coast, they were in desperate, desperate need of fresh water. They had run out of water, and they were about to die, in all honesty. And so as they approached, they saw another sailing vessel, and they thought, we're saved, we're saved. So they got us close as they could and they kept shouting out, please give us some fresh water. We're just about to die. We're delayed. Our ship is damaged. We, We don't have water. Please give us water. But back came the strangest reply. Let down your buckets into the ocean. Well, they kept thinking, well, maybe there's a language problem here. And so they kept shouting over and over, please, we are desperate. We need fresh water. Give us water to drink. We're dying. But back came this strange reply, Let down your bucket into the ocean. Well, they were exasperated to say the least because you can't drink ocean water. Everyone knows that. Particularly sailing people knew that. But finally, one exasperated crew member, I guess just out of exasperation, dropped a bucket down into the ocean and pulled it back up. And guess what was in in the bucket? Fresh water. You see, unbeknownst to them, because they were still way far from eyesight of land, they were off the coast of South America, but they were where the Amazon River empties into the ocean. And you may not know this, and me being the skeptic that I am, of course, I've checked all this out. The Amazon is so huge, its volume is so powerful that the water stays fresh out into the ocean for over in the dry season for over hundred miles. In the wet season for almost 200 miles the water is still fresh and drinkable. Here was this ship dying of thirst, yet surrounded by everything it needed for life. Surrounded by everything it needed for life. Now They got to drink, they drank, they were fine. But I could not help but think of the spiritual parallel to that story. Here we are, dying as a nation, as a culture, truly dying. Uh, Dying in every way, culturally, morally, every way there is. And yet we're surrounded by that which we need for life. So the phrase, let down your buckets, now holds a spiritual connotation. Let down your buckets into the mercy that God offers, the forgiveness that He offers, the the grace that He offers. And yet, even in our culture, we would have to agree, many reject that grace, that mercy, that forgiveness outright. They just reject it. No, we will not follow the way of Christ. Some substitute cultural religion or other religions or other situations substitute for this grace that they desperately need. So they live life substituting other things for that which really makes life worthwhile. And then other things we do sometimes which is sometimes just as bad. We adjudicate sin. We grade sin. We We say, well, maybe because I haven't done this sin, God will let me in. So we import our own kind of false theology and miss the grace of God. Some people say, well, you know, I've never murdered, and as long as you don't murder, you can get into heaven. Is that true? Well, the Bible says there'll be no murderers in heaven, but yet the Apostle Paul and even David the king came pretty close. Some say, well, I've never done that, so I'm all right. Well, I've never committed adultery. Well, good for you. Well, the Bible says there'll be no adulterers in heaven, but yet the Bible is full of those. We're going to read next week about a woman at the well who had had four husbands and, or five. and Anyway, then we're going to read in John chapter 8 of a woman who was caught in the very act, and yet she was forgiven. Well, we say, well, maybe I, I'm not a thief. I've never stolen anything. Well, good for you. There are going to be many thieves in heaven. Yet the Bible says there's not going to be a thief in heaven. Well, because they were forgiven. There was a thief on the cross who was guaranteed a place in paradise. So we do all kinds of things and miss the grace, the mercy, and the truth of God's word. Well, let down your buckets into the grace and mercy and forgiveness that God offers. But it brings us back to the question that is the title of the sermon today. What is the greatest sin in the world? What is the greatest sin? If it's not those that I've already enumerated, what is it? Well, simply put, it's the rejection of the Lord. It is the rejection of the Lord. So look with me. We're going to look at a text that's very powerful. Chapter three, beginning with verse thirty-one, and and, uh, I want to tell you up front: I don't know who's saying these words. Now, my version has quotes around each of the verses. Well, newsflash, my friends: those quotes are not in the original text. And even if we did know who was being quoted, we're not told. Was Was it John the Baptist or John the author? We don't know. I don't really care. It doesn't matter to me which one said it because it's in the word of God and it's true. Can somebody say amen to that? Please. Thank you. Now look at verse 31 with me, please. It says, He who comes from above is above all, but he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all, Verse 32, and what we have seen, what he has seen and heard, that he testifies and no one receives his testimony. Verse 33, he who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. He who believes... Now look at verse 36. He who believes the Son is everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Wow. Look at that again. He who believes in the Son is everlasting life, but he who does not believe the Son... Does, shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Pretty serious stuff, isn't it? We've seen in, already in chapter 3, in the first 21 verses, we've seen Jesus as the teacher. And then in the last, uh, the penultimate section, I've taught you that word, uh, we see Jesus as the bridegroom, but now Jesus as the witness. And he witnesses the truth from heaven. We're going to see that. He's the witness of God's truth, of God's power, of God's love, but yes, even of God's wrath. Now, the emphasis, however, is on the witness. And by the way, in John's Gospel, the word witness, and in the Greek, you'll like this word, martyreo, from which we get the English word martyr. It's used 47 times in the Gospel of John. And he is usually referring, not always, but usually to Jesus as the witness. He uses it in other words and other phrases as all, excuse me, 47 times. So he talks about Jesus being the witness. Well, I want you to be able, when you leave this place today, I want you to be able to answer, why should we heed the witness of Jesus Christ? Why should we heed his witness of what God has said and done and is? Why should we heed it? Why should we listen to it? Why should we give credence to it? Well, the first point simply is, why should we do it? Because he came from heaven. The first verse that we've read, verse 31, affirms that Jesus did not receive orders from heaven. He was in heaven. He was empowered by heaven. Heaven, Not just simply called from heaven. He came from there. Now the Jews disputed that fact, but we know here it is affirmed that he who comes from above is above all. They knew that it was his claim that he was from God. Now no earthly messenger ever claimed such that they came from heaven. Uh, and that is simply not the way it is. But since Jesus did come from heaven, he represents the Father. And to reject that witness is to reject the Father. I've told you before, I'm often uh, sadly amused by how in our 21st century world, even in secular culture, it is sometimes okay to talk about a God. It is sometimes okay to talk about a higher power. But the moment you mention Jesus... Then the whole conversation changes. Everything changes at that point. Then the breaks come on. Whoa, wait a minute. Now you're getting religious. You can talk about God, but now you start talking about Jesus. You've moved into a whole different category. There is a fear of and a rejection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But he came from heaven. He is God. Not the Father, but God the Son. He came from heaven. So why should we give heed or credence or why should we listen to this witness? Well, because he came from heaven. Number two, because he heard these things firsthand. It comes from him firsthand, verses 32 and 33. He shares what he has seen and heard. He didn't learn some theory somewhere. This is what he saw. And this is what he heard, because he was there. So he has that which he has firsthand. And those who receive his witness, the Bible says, and who act on it, know it's true. Well, since Jesus came from heaven, and he knows it firsthand, those who know him do not make it just an intellectual study. But we put it into practice and say, that which God has given us through his Son, which he saw and he heard, we incorporate it into our lives. And we put it into practice that we might see its truth, that we might experience its power. He saw it firsthand. Why should we give credence to Jesus, the witness? Because he came from heaven because he saw it firsthand. Are you with me so far? Number three, because the Father authorized him. The Father authorized him. Verses 34 and 35, we're moving fast, but we're going to slow up here in just a minute. Verses 34 and 35, he authorized his son. God sent him. God gave him the word. God gave him the spirit. God gave him all things. And so here John, I think probably John the baptizer, Is trying to put the difference between him and Jesus. He was the forerunner. Jesus is the real thing. God gave everything to him, has authorized him as the Messiah, as the one. And you don't have to look for anyone else. What a commissioning. God said, Here is my son. In his baptism, he said, In whom I am well pleased. He affirms and authorizes Jesus as the Messiah. And to reject Him, to reject Him is to reject the highest authority, to reject the authorization of God Himself. Now when we share in that witness and we agree with it and we come to faith in Christ, we receive His witness, we share in His love and all the wealth of heaven itself. When we reject it, We say no to all that heaven offers. We'll come back to that in a moment. No wonder Jesus wept over Jerusalem at their rejection. He thought, do you not understand what you're giving up? And Don't you know he is weeping now from heaven as he intercedes for us to see the mass rejection in our culture of all things Christian. Even in my lifetime, y'all know, uh, okay, I'm not young anymore. I'm in my late 40s now. You know, okay, that's a joke, of course. You know that in my lifetime, I've seen a total shift in how our culture perceives and receives the message of Christ. And the rapidity with which it is occurring now is mind-boggling. Some New Orleans Saints quarterback, I've forgotten his name, Breeze. Thank you. Some of you know him. Now, if it's not Dallas Cowboy, I don't care a whole lot, you know, a whole whole lot about him. You come to my house, and I wear my Dallas Cowboy hat with pride. One of my goober-headed son-in-laws calls them the dead, I mean the cowgirls. I can't believe it. Then I call his team the dead skin. So anyway, we, we argue and we fuss about those things. But this guy gets in trouble last week. Because he had asked, people to bring, asked students to bring their Bibles to school. So every LGBT group and every other liberal group in the nation went crazy. All he said was, why don't you bring your Bibles to school? He said, I, I saw him. He said, I live by two commandments. Love the Lord and love other people. That's all I'm trying to do. Spread the love of God. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I love everybody. But he is the enemy. And he must be destroyed because he is standing for something that comes from heaven. Jesus was authorized by the Father. Why should we heed his witness? Now let's look at the last one. This is where we're going to park in just a moment. Why? So that we may escape his wrath. Verse 36. And let me tell you, if you were to ask me what am I preaching on today, I would say hell, fire, and brimstone. Because that's really what this is. Look at verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. But he who believes not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. That makes me actually shiver. It makes me shiver. This is the only time in John's writings is the word wrath used. Now, it's used in Hebrews, it's used in the Pauline epistles, but none of the Johannine, the John-written epistles, nor the gospel, nor the book of Revelation, he never uses this phrase. But here he does. It is God's settled dissatisfaction, his clear dissatisfaction against sin, his wrath. And there is no neutrality given here. There is no intermediate state given here. If you believe, you have everlasting life. But if you do not, you will not see life, and the wrath of God abides on you. Now, everlasting life that's mentioned here does not just start at the moment you die. Uh, I was talking to a couple of guys earlier. We were talking about... How I got my girls together Monday and talked about, if I ever die, girls, here's where the stuff is you need to know financially. Why aren't they not going to ask their mama? Because she don't care nothing about any of it. She just said, all I need knows know is my credit card work when you die. <laughs> now that's a truth. It is a truth. So I got my girls together I said, girls, now look at this stuff. Well, you know, someday it's going to happen to all of us. But when does everlasting life begin? When I die? No, it begins the moment you give your life to Christ. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. The opposite is also true. If you've not given your life, then the wrath of God abides on you beginning now. It's not just something happens when you die and go to a godless, Christless hell. It begins now, the wrath of God. It's it's a frightening thing to me. Those who have not given their life to Christ already live with the sentence of death upon them. It goes back to that which we've already read back in chapter 3, verse 18. What did it say? He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned. When? Already. Already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Those who are not following and not believing, they don't have to wait. It's already pronounced upon them. So why, if the sentence is already pronounced, why has it not been executed yet? Well, because the Bible says in 2 Peter, for God is not, he is patient He's not slack concerning his promises. But he still wishes that everyone he says. You know what the word all means in Greek? Same thing it means in English. He still wants people to come to repentance. And that's why he's patient. And that's why he gives people chance after chance after chance. But by rejecting Christ, the door is shut. The door is shut to the highest possibilities in this life. Can you imagine where you could be if you'd lived your whole life following Christ and to the highest possibilities of heaven itself? It's a serious issue. By rejecting Christ, you shut the door. One of my favorite preachers of yesteryear, kind of, sort of, after whom my grandson Truett is named, George W. Truett, was pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas for 140 years. Just teasing. 40-some years. He really was. Now, he was not born in Texas. He was born up near Murphy, North Carolina in the mountains. But he went out yonder and pastored that great church for all those years. One of the greatest men ever lived. You can read all kinds of stuff about him. I just love to read George W. Truett's stuff. But he was pastoring and he was preaching in a series of revival meetings in Dallas. And this teenage boy came every night. And George W. Truett finally talked to him toward the end of the meetings. Not the end, but toward the end. He said, Well, I really feel like I need to give my life to Christ, but listen, my daddy is a physician. He is, I idolize my daddy. And he said, my daddy doesn't need Christ, so no, I just think I'm not going to accept Christ because I want to be like my daddy. And the little boy walked, the teenager walked away. So, Truett, next day, went to see the doctor, went to his office. Said, doctor, I need to talk to you. Okay, what about? Your son's been coming to our meetings. And your son was on the verge of giving his life to Christ, but he told me he didn't need to because you don't need to. And that boy idolizes you, doctor. And he said this to him. He said, doctor, you owe something to this boy. You have too much at stake to let this matter go by. Do you see where you're leading your son? Well, well, The doctor later said, it's the heaviest blow I've ever gotten. That night, the doctor walked down that aisle, gave his life to Christ. And Truett said, look who's behind you. Of course, his son. Let me tell you, when you don't receive Christ, it has terrible, horrible, repercussions for now and then. But you can also stand in the way of someone else. And I cringe to think of how I've hurt other people from giving their lives to Christ. You see, the wrath of God is a serious issue. What is the greatest sin in the world? It is to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe the second greatest is to stand in the way of someone else who needs to give his or her life to Christ. We know God does not rank sin, but I must believe that ranks up there. Would you today plant your life in Christ? Would you give your life to Christ and live in such a way as to not give impediment to those who need to come to Christ? Would you let down your buckets into the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God so that you can say, I I live under the blessing of God. I have received life and I'm going to see life, verse 36. And that is our memory verse for this week, by the way. And I don't ever want to be under the wrath of God. I don't want everyone to even hear that word used. I want to see life. I want to believe. Jesus is a witness. We must heed that witness. Can somebody say amen? Amen. We must give heed to the witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this word. Thank you that you gave us your son. And we know that, Lord, many in this room already believe. I know that. But I pray that everybody would believe with total faith, giving it all up. And that, Lord, all of those of us who do believe and do know that we would be resolute to live in such a way as to never be an impediment to another soul. And forgive us for those times and ways in which we have. Now, Father God, deal with us right where we are. We thank you for the witness of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.